There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Chapter number 14, Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. If you would please stand in a bond and reverence to God's Word. Mark chapter number 14. And look at verse number 12, Mark chapter 14 and verse number 12. Sister Edlene, you almost preached my text in your song. Mark chapter number 14 and verse number 12. We have looked at our Lord Jesus as these days of his passion on Sunday morning. And we've looked at a day of declaration. We've looked at a day of inspection. We've looked at another day that I cannot... Uh, come to mind right now, but this morning we'll look at a day of anticipation. Mark chapter 14 and look at verse number 12. In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go to prepare thou that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And whosoever he sh- wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master hath, uh, uh, the, the, the goodman of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where, uh, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared and there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he saith, he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it that uh, that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet I will, I will not I. And Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you that this day, even 
in the night before the cock crow thrice, thou shalt deny me uh, twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any, like, in any wise. Likewise also they uh, said they all. They came to a place which is called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I pray. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John and began to be sore amazed and, and to be very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forth a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, Sleepest thou? Couldest thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither which they what to answer him? And he cometh the third time and saith unto him, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway uh, to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of that, one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote the servant of the high priest. And they cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Ye are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me. I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scripture must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there, there, and there followed him a young man, a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about him, was naked body, and the young man laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from him naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. We can stop our reading there if you will. Take a seat. I want to share with you this morning a day of anticipation. A day of anticipation. Dear Heavenly Father, we come you in Jesus' name, and we bless the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would help me. I pray that which you have told me in secret, and we have shared in secret, you'd, be, you'd let me to be able to announce from the housetops. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would take us back to this evening, this scene on this particular day when these events culminated into a day of anticipation. A day that did not catch you by surprise. A day that was filled with everything that you had foreseen. And God, that yet at the same time, no matter how painful and how, uh, how dreadful the day was, you willingly endured it, willingly stepping in to, our, to the suffering for our sake. Father, bless your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. On April 
the 27th, 2011, a massive Category 4 tornado cut through the mountains of northwest Georgia, leveling everything in its path. Homes and cities were destroyed. Many lives were lost. Even today, as I drive down through Ringgold and down through Trenton, Georgia, I can see the deep scar of what happened, what took place in the landscape. The scenes of its destruction in these nearby regions are seared into our minds with the television accounts and the radio broadcasts of all the destruction that lay in the path of that tornado. This year, on April the 27th, it will mark the fourth anniversary of that storm's destruction. As we approach it, I know for myself there is a sense of dread in the whole thing. April is particularly susceptible to these terrible thunderstorms and those uh, that could elicit these tornadoes once again. And there's a sense of dread for me in the month of April. As the weather patterns change and the springtime storms begin to pop up here and there, I experience a fearful anticipation. As storms appear on the horizon, I begin to find myself, uh, I begin to brace myself for the worst. You know, with each day of our Lord's passion, He's drawn closer and closer to the destructive storm which which He was sent on this earth to endure. This day is just prior to that storm. This day is on the eve of his, of his, of his uh, judicial conviction and his crucifixion on the cross. A day just prior to his execution. And I find it to be a day of anticipation. A day of anticipation. You see, Jesus stood on the edge of unimaginable suffering and shame, of humiliation and pain. His hour had come. Jesus often spoke of His hour, His time, early on in His ministry. I remember Him telling His mother at the wedding at Cana, my hour has not yet come. Well, all these years it had been coming down to this point in which he would say to his disciples as Judas walked into the garden to betray him, mine hour is come. This was the time. This was the hour. This was the moment of ancient anticipation. This day is marked by three events. The Lord's Supper in the upper room. The prayer, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' betrayal at the hands of Judas Iscariot. In each case, Jesus expresses a similar sense of anticipation. He knew what was taking place. He knew what would befall him. Now, to be honest with you, In my short tenure as a pastor, I have preached a number of messages from these very scenes, from these moments. And and so this morning's task is not an easy one to take all three events and bind them together and place them in an orderly fashion. Volumes could be written on one scene that takes place. 
One uh, volumes could be written about the Lord's Supper. Uh, 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 libraries could be filled with what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, universities, uh, courses could go on endlessly about what took place when Judas uh, betrayed the Lord Jesus. Combining all four gospel accounts, these scenes alone make up a total of 290 verses. 290 verses are given to these three events. But for a few moments this morning, I want to briskly walk through them and distill out of them some precious truth about what Jesus knew, He anticipated, would happen to Him in the following day. In doing so, it will teach us eternally valuable lessons, gospel truth that we so desperately need to understand. So as I look at these things, I want you to see this gospel truth. See the saving grace of our Lord Jesus. See the love of God that we've sung about all morning. First of all, I want you to see a symbolic banquet. You go notice back in verse number 12 of chapter 14. A symbolic banquet. In verse number 12, it seems as though Jesus may well have started out the day with His disciples asking Him this question. Where will we observe the Passover? Jesus is asked about His plans to celebrate this commemoration meal of the, of the Jewish people. The time of year was that of the Passover. A commemoration of the deliverance of the Jews from Egyptian bondage. A great deal of preparation had to be done long in advance of the meal. For, for instance, the houses, the homes of these Jewish observers would have to be thoroughly cleansed, somewhat like a spring cleaning. The house would be cleansed of all leaven. There could not be the slightest crumb of bread on the floor that contained leaven, which is a type of sin. It all had to be purged out of the house. Needless to say, that was a task in and of itself that took hours to complete. It had, but it had to be done in preparation of this feast. Then... A lamb was to be selected, whether it was purchased down at the temple or taken from the very flock of the individual. A spotless, perfect lamb was to be taken, and it was to be taken down to the temple. Long lines would ensue in the temple during this feast celebration as people would bring their lambs to have them inspected and then have them slaughtered. The lamb's throat would be cut, the blood drained from its body into a basin. Priest after priest would pass the blood in these basins down a line where the final priest would dump the blood onto the burning altar uh, in the temple. Then the animal was flayed, the skin was taken off, the vital organs taken from the animal, and they were placed, along with the fat, and they were placed on the altar to burn. And the remainder of the animal's carcass, the meat, uh, the, what could be eaten would be given back to the owner of the animal. And so here we see that sacrificial system. Remember now, there were hundreds 
of thousands, dare I say millions of people in Jerusalem. This was time consuming. These disciples would be in charge of finding a lamb, taking it to the temple, and waiting in these long lines as the animals were sacrificed. Finally, the animal came to them. They were to uh, go back to uh, go back to their place uh, of observance, and there they would roast the animal in accordance with uh, Jewish tradition and law. And here we see we find these disciples coming back and and uh, uh, and preparing uh, this meal as the disciples make their way in. They uh, they begin to take this dinner. But what would take place this Passover? would be radically different than ever before. Because in this moment, Jesus institutes His own commemorative meal. No longer would the believers in Jehovah hearken back to the day of the Lamb's sacrifice in Egypt. They would look to the moment where the Lamb of God was sacrificed for them. Jesus the Lamb, He would be the sacrifice for them. Oh, what would take place in this meal would be, would be His observance of what happened on that cross. A meal which still impacts us to this very day. Notice in this meal, this symbolic banquet, we see first of all the brutality of His death. Look with me in verse number, uh, verse number 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it, notice it, and break it. The bread, and then He took the cup, the cup, and He had given thanks, gave it to them. First He took the unleavened bread. These would be uh, more like what we'd have at the Lord's Supper. These almost cracker-like uh, uh, pieces of bread, large, uh, almost like a tortilla. They would take it and break it, a hard type of crunchy bread. And Jesus broke that bread and began to distribute it to His disciples, entreating them to eat, for this is my body. Luke's account adds the words given for you. This is my body given for you. The Apostle Paul's account in 1 Corinthians no doubt came from one of the eyewitnesses of the Apostles includes the words broken for you. Jesus is speaking of His own body that would be broken, that would be bitterly and brutally broken for their sakes. This is a foreshadowing of the, uh, of the giving of His body on the cross. His human form was battered and beaten during the agonies of the cross. This broken bread pictures the broken body of the Lord Jesus. Then He took the cup, offering to His disciples with these words, This is My blood that is shed. The word shed in our text here in verse number 23, giving thanks for the cup, he gave him thanks and, and, and said, uh, 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 verse number 23, thanks became, uh, uh, he gave it to them and they all drank it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you. That word shed there is a very a telling word. It's a word that 
does not mean a mere prick of the finger, uh, uh, a little drizzle of blood from the uh, from a, an extremity of the body. This is an entire gushing of the body. There is a passage of Scripture in Acts which speaks of how a Judas, after he realized his betrayal of the Lord Jesus, he went out and hanged himself. And the Scripture says that his body fell upon the rocks and his, his insides burst forth. That's the same word Jesus uses here. His blood would gush out. Just like that lamb with its throat cut, its blood would gush out from its body. So our Lord Jesus anticipates that bloodshed on the cross. This bread and this cup pictured all that Christ would give in the coming hours through the fist that pummeled on His cheeks. For the brow, uh, for the uh, for the thorns, the crown of thorns upon his brow, uh, through the nails in his hands and feet, through the spear that would pierce his side, all oh, the brutality in this cup, the brutality of what we find in this meal. That broken bread is more than just a cake of nourishment. It is the body of our Lord Jesus. In a very symbolic sense, it is the, it is the presentation of what he went through as he was ground beyond recognition on the cross. His blood that splattered all over the, of uh, the, the Gabbatha, the place of the whipping, the beating about the garrison all the way to Golgotha where his side was pierced and blood and water flowed out. This is a picture of Christ's ultimate sacrifice and all that he gave for us is found in this bread and cup, a symbolic picture of what He's done for us. Notice also not only the brutality of His death we see in this meal, but the benefactors of this death. Don't overlook the fact that Jesus took this bread and cup and He handed it to His disciples. This bread is for you. This cup is for you. This bread and cup that represented the brutality of all that He would endure on the cross was given and to, uh, to and was for the benefit of His disciples. What do Jesus symbolize? Death was to His disciples a picture of their life. Jesus had said in John 6, 30, 53 and 54, Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat My flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, and ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth, uh, eateth My flesh and drinketh My blood, he hath eternal life, and him will I raise up in the last day. The flesh of which He speaks is His own body on the cross. The blood which He speaks is, is the blood that He would shed on the cross. The consumption of which is not the cannibalism that may be a fault of, but it is the belief. It is the trust, the consumption of this bread, of this body and this blood is the belief on the Lord Jesus Christ and that took our place on the cross. He believed that He was a personal atonement for one's own sin. You see, this meal is a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. Many in our day and time today have this confused. They believe that some miraculously some strange way that that bread becomes a piece of literal flesh. No, Jesus is given a symbolic picture here. He 
is handing them a, a piece of bread and a cup of great wine so that they may identify with him in what he has done already. They've already consumed him. Peter said, where shall we go? You only have the words of life. There is belief on the Lord Jesus. And therefore there is consumption. This is just a symbolic picture of what that belief means. This physical meal is a symbol of spiritual reality. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, body and blood given on the tree in our behalf. His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. As the old song says, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me He died on Calvary. Oh, what took place at this table was a beautiful display of what you and I partake of when we receive Him as Lord and Savior. We commemorate that when we come to the table. You and I sit here today as the beneficiaries of His great sacrifice. We pull up to the table next Sunday night in a reality of a Lord's Supper where we'll drink a physical cup, where we'll eat a physical piece of bread and our eyes will be cast upon our Savior who physically bled, who physically died and we identify ourselves with Him in that meal. All these are the benefactors of His death. The brutality of His death. Here in this scene of our Lord Jesus, do you see the anticipation? He knew. He knew it. <laughs> he provides this meal, this symbol of what He knew, what lay ahead on the next day. He anticipates what will happen. A symbolic banquet. But also I want you to see a searing burden. A searing burden. Notice in Mark chapter 14, Look at verse number 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Traditionally, in the Jewish Passover, the hymn that has been sung in this time would be from the Psalms 113 to 118. It's known as the Halal. I'll not take the time to read all of the song, but I want you to listen to some peculiarly uh, similar to some very informative enlightening verses from it. Psalm 118, 22-29. Listen very closely. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in Him. Save now, O beseech Thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech Thee. Send now, now prosperity. Blessed be He that cometh in the name of the Lord. It's almost as though we see the very events that are taking place in this song. He said to Blessed come in the name of the Lord. God is the Lord. And He that show, he hath showed us the light. Bind the sacrifice with cords. Even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God. I will praise Thee. Thou art my God. I will exalt Thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. For He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. These are the words that point us to the very events that were taking place. And they've been singing this for centuries. Here Jesus sings of His own sacrifice. Sings of His own fulfillment in this 
a verge of going into the garden. But I want you to follow these verses after this song. Jesus and them began to make their way out of the city. Look at verse number 32. And they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. When we look in these verses, I want you to understand that although this song is glorious that they sung, it takes a darker turn. We not only see, uh, first of all, we see the sorrow he experienced. After the meal, he and his disciples make their way into the evening darkness to the garden just outside Jerusalem. There had been a strange law, a peculiar law that had been passed that stated that no personal gardens, no family gardens were to be allowed in the city of Jerusalem for fear that the dung used to fertilize the, of the ground would somehow, somehow taint of the beautiful or the the holy ground which was Jerusalem. So all gardens were owned by wealthy people just outside the city walls. So Jesus begins to make his way with his disciples outside the city walls. No doubt Jesus had been given permission by some wealthy landowner, some sympathizer to allow him to go into this garden to resort with his disciples. Jesus had done this so often that Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be in this late hour. Jesus took advantage of this opportunity every time that He could going into this garden of Gethsemane. Notice we've seen before that the garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means olive press. It was a place known for the crushing of the olive, of, uh, olive to extract the precious oil that is within it is a fitting name for this place where Jesus would experience the crushing sorrow of Golgotha's anticipation. As they entered the garden, He instructs His disciples to pray. He shared with them that His soul was exceeding sorrowful. In the loneliness of this prayer, Jesus cast Himself on the ground. Notice what it says in verse number 33. And He taketh Peter, James, and John and began to be sore amazed. He was very heavy. And He saith, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And He went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from Him. Jesus cast Himself on the ground in prayer. Now I want you to remember what all that Jesus had gone through in the past few days. He had been despised, contempted, rejected. He had been ridiculed by the religious establishment. The heartbreak over the betrayal that He knew was about to happen seared His, his inner being. The heartbreak of the lack of rest due to nights of wrestling with God in prayer looking for spiritual power from the Father. The toll was so surmountable on his body that as he prayed, ruby drops of blood began to issue from the pores of his skin. I will not pretend to know all that takes place in this prayer. I'm not going to stand before you today and say that I know exactly what is being said in these moments as Jesus prayed to the Father. I'll not stand here and do that. And yet, 
peering into this cup, we find the humanity and the deity of Jesus in this prayer in which He expresses a reluctance to take this cup, but actually, in reality, knowing full well that He must take this cup. Jesus full knew well what the necessity of His death on the cross meant. His death alone was the only way to reconcile sinful men and a holy God. Jesus knew this. And yet peering into the cup of sin and shame of which he had never known a single moment's time experience caused him to shrink back and plead with his father to avoid. Almost six years ago, there was a man by the name of Thomas Vanderwood. He died in an attempt to save his Down syndrome son from drowning. The son Joseph had been wandering around an open septic tank and had somehow taken a misstep and fallen into that tank. And here this father, knowing and can hear his son above, trying to get his head above the filth of that septic tank, the father runs and dives into that septic tank, lifting his son out as others pull him out. But in the reality of the moment, as he pushed his son out, he himself succumbed to drowning in that field. I know not the thought pattern of this father, but there had to have been a moment as he approached that septic tank, realizing all of the filth and all of the nastiness of that tank. And yet willingly diving in, there had to be some sense of reluctance. But love took over in that moment. That's what we see in this garden. Oh, Jesus looking into the cup of filth from every perverted sin had ever been committed, every murderous desire, every fornicative act, every wicked lie, something that He was so foreign to. And yet for love of us, he dove head first into that cup. He turned back the cup for you and I. Oh, the divine, uh, the mental anguish and the uh, divine rejection of the cross. He did this for you and for me. In that garden, He peered into the cesspool of sin and prayed earnestly to the Father. The sorrow He experienced but the surrender he expressed. Notice when Jesus calls out to his heavenly Father in verse number 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Notice this. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt be done. You see, and yet he prayed, not what I want, but what you want to be done. As difficult and as painful as the road ahead lay, Jesus relented to the will of God saying, Thy will be done. Because the wisdom of the Father prevails over the ability of God. What God knows to be right and true and must happen in this world overrules His ability. There is no limit to the ability of God and what He can do. But in this moment, the wisdom of the Father intercedes. 
Jesus is left to endure the suffering of the cross on His own. God's will is that Jesus suffer and die on the cross. The will of the Father was that His only begotten Son turn, uh, son, turn back this cup of suffering and drink every drop to its bitter end. This is the only way sinners can be forgiven. This is the only hope that you and I have of ever being made right with God is if Jesus immersed Himself totally into the rejection of the cross. You see, His rejection on the cross, through that we have our remission. Through His suffering on the cross, we have our salvation. Through His death on the cross, we have our deliverance. Everything that He did in that cup, everything that He would endure in that cup of suffering was on our behalf. In His resurrection, we find our redemption. This is the scene of a searing burden placed upon our Savior. One that would seemingly crush Him in that hour. And yet He prays, not what I will, but what Thy will be done. What you want, God, not what I want. I, I believe in that song that says that He looked through eternity into your eyes and said it's worth it. When He was on the cross, what did He say? I was on His mind. We could say when He was in the garden facing that cup, He saw you dying in your sin. He saw me dying in that uh, anguish of hell. And He took that cup. Notice, last of all, we see not only a symbolic banquet and a searing burden, but finally, I want you to see a subtle betrayal. A subtle betrayal. Verse number 43. And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve. And with him a multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss... The same as he, take him and lead him away safely. Here we see the betrayal of our Lord Jesus. Jesus would continue his praying late into the night. Can you see the evening begin to wane late as the dew of heaven begins to condense upon his cloak and upon the rocks around him, the cool wetness of the evening hour as he rested upon the rocks to pray. The mental anguish of the moment was so intense that Luke twenty two forty three tells us that God had dispatched angelic angel angelic beings to uh, to strengthen Jesus for what lie ahead. In Mark's gospel, we find Jesus with resolve announces to his disciples that his betrayer is at hand. Jesus had already spoken to His disciples of that betrayal at the meal. We read that in the reading of our text. He had already told them that one of you sitting here will betray Me. He had already alluded to the fact earlier in conversation that someone would betray Him. But now the twelve understand that they would, one of them would be the one to betray at the table of the Passover, revealed that one would be betrayed, uh, would be a betrayer, and it was one of them that sat with him in the garden. His identity was made known to all of them. Notice we see the arrest that was made. Although not yet revealed to his disciples, Jesus already had identified who the betrayer was in the upper room. 
Jesus had occasion to speak directly to Judas. He whispered to him in John 13, 27, That thou doest, do quickly. In a prearranged plan, Judas arrives in the garden uh, with a garrison of soldiers with a, with a subtle plan of identifying the, uh, the object of the arrest. Now you can sympathize with this. You think about a late night garden with trees, with hanging leaves, may well be filled with olives in that moment. A garrison with torchlights comes into the garden and it's not easy to make faces. Who is who in that garden? Judas gives them a token. I will find Jesus. And I will kiss Him on the cheek. When I do that, you'll know that is the man to arrest. That is the man to take. His little subtle plan was to kiss the Lord Jesus. Matthew 26, 15 tells us that an arrangement had been made that Judas would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. After leaving the upper room on what could have been supposed by the other disciples as a, some sort of errand that Jesus had sent Jesus on, Jesus, uh, Judas on because he was the holder of the money bag, Judas notified the religious leaders where Jesus would be in the coming hours. A garrison of soldiers was quickly summoned and Judas led the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. By the flicker of the torchlight, Jesus and the eleven met Judas face to face. Judas steps forward and he approaches the Lord Jesus. And Judas approaches with the words. Notice what he said. Right, uh, Master, uh, look, in, look in verse number 43. And immediately while they spake, Judas uh, uh, Judas uh, come one of the twelve with him with a great multitude and, uh, and with swords and staves and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and he that betrayeth him had given a token saying whomsoever I shall kiss that same is he take him lead him away and safely and as soon as he was come he goeth straight forward to him and saith master master the word master here is a word of honor, an address of honor. It's a word meaning rabbi, rabbi, teacher. It's a word indicating humility before someone above thee. Judas comes to him with words of honor on his lips. Hail, master. A title of honor, a title of significance. Verse 44, like I'd said, Jesus gave them a sign. Whoever I kiss on the cheek. That's the one to place under arrest. In verse number 49, it tells us that he that this kiss was not merely a customary greeting, but actually a passionate, meaningful kiss. Here is Judas. The word used to describe uh, to the, the soldiers, I will do a customary kiss on the Lord Jesus. You know, Eastern cultures, they, uh, they have that kiss from cheek to cheek, just barely, barely touching each other. But here, Judas, when he approaches the Lord Jesus, he puts on a show like none else. He goes to the uh, person of the Lord Jesus. He embraces Him and, and lovingly, like a, an Academy Award winning actor, lays a passionate kiss upon His cheek trying to portray himself as some devoted follower of Jesus, some beloved disciples. But in that moment, 
In that moment, he betrayed the Son of God. In that moment, for a pocket full of silver, he betrayed the Son of Glory into the hands of sinful men. In his heart, he had sold the Son of God for a pocket full of change. He was betrayed by one that he had loved and that he had trusted. A while back, several months ago, I was listening to an audio book uh, by a man that, was, that is a, a, uh, uh, a, uh, a Chinese house church pastor. One that is very wanted by the communist government. He was oftentimes arrested. He was beaten. He was tortured. His legs were broken so that he might divulge the whereabouts of other believers and other house churches. In all of his pain and agony, one of the songs that saw him through all of the torture was a little Chinese song that would go something like this. I will not be a Judas. I'll not betray my Lord. I will not be a Judas. I'll not betray my Lord. I wonder, as you enter in, and maybe you're a teenager here, you enter in on those teenage years, is that the song of your heart? When you'll be tempted to, for it to go every which way in your morality and what you'll do and how you'll conduct your life. You that are young adults and, and are young parents, are you yourselves uh, with, your, with the entreats of, 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 a, of a stable home life, of, of a regular income? Are you, do you sing the same song, I'll not betray my Lord? I'll not betray Him. I'll not forsake my Lord. I'll not be a Judas. You that are in late in life and you're, you have your retirement days ahead, days of leisure, days of time and of rest, are you, do you sing the same song? I'll not be a Judas. I'll not betray my Lord in every stage of life, in every moment of life. Let that be our song. We'll not kiss the face of the Lord Jesus with, with manufactured devotion in the house of God. We'll not address Him when terms of honor when our hearts have already sold him out for the money and the entreats of this world. What is your song this evening? Is it one that states constantly, I'll not be a Judas. I'll not betray my Lord. God gripped my heart during that study hour as I looked at that this text and I looked at this man named Judas and how he betrayed the Lord Jesus, how he was trusted, how he was a preacher just like they were. He announced the gospel message in villages. He had witnessed miracles, may well been on the, on the giving end of miracles, and yet he betrayed the Lord. Oh, I ask God in my heart right now, Oh, God searched my heart. God pointed out several areas in which easily, easily, a few decisions away from being a betrayer of our Lord. Oh, listen, guard your heart. Guard your heart. On the, I, I dare say on the moment that Jesus embraced Judas as one of His disciples in the, and began to follow Him in the onset of His ministry, He had no idea He would end up with the betrayer's money in his pocket and play acting a kiss, a passionate kiss upon the cheek of Jesus so he could be arrested. The arrest was made, but I want you to also see the authority that was maintained. What took place next was a burst of action. 
Jesus presents himself to the soldiers and says, who are you looking for? John, uh, John records that they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus responds, I am he. You know the story. In a moment, with those words, all of the disciples lay flat on their back before the Lord Jesus. They rose up. Jesus asked the same question and they responded with the same answer. As they began to come and take Jesus by the hands to bind Him, one of His disciples, namely Peter, pulls out a sword and would have taken the head off of the, of the servant of the high priest, but sliced off his ear. Jesus reaches down into the dirt of the Garden of Gethsemane, taking up that ear and placing it back upon the servant of the high priest, Malchus, healing him. Jesus then also told uh, Peter uh, in verse Matthew 26, 53, Thinkest thou that I could not pray uh, to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? In this flurry of events in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas identified Jesus, here we see Jesus still in control. His authority has not waned one bit. I tell you these things and all the events to know that Jesus was not taken against His own will. He was not swept up and unwillingly taken into custody. He did not fall into an uncontrollable mob of religious zealots. When these soldiers arrived, they were no match for the power and ability of Jesus. He had complete control over this moment of seeming chaos. He was in complete control. He maintains that same control today. When it seems as though Jesus is being arrested in every, every corner of your life, every place of possibility, when it seems like life and, and all the events of life are spiraling out of control, Jesus is still, has authority over your life and mine. When it seems like we are at the mercy of the world, the flesh and the devil, the, the peace speaker still walks on the sea. The one that controls the winds and waves still addresses my need. He keeps watch over me in the midnight hours. He keeps watch over me as I make my way down the dusty paths of life. He is still in control. Still in control. When we look at this day, we realize that in every circumstance, Jesus was anticipating what would come. As He ate from the table, he knew the cross lie. As he bowed down in the garden, he knew that the cup of suffering lie ahead. As he walked from that garden and Judas made his way into that, into that garden, he knew the betrayer was at hand. This was a day of anticipation. What would take place in the days to come was no surprise. In this anticipation, if there is anything that I want you to see, that I want to ring clear in this moment, is the love that Jesus had for you. He saw 
the imminent death of the cross far in advance. And yet He stood in its path and let it overtake Him. He saw the mixture of the gall of the judgment of God on the cross of Calvary and willingly turned back that cup of suffering and drunk it for you and for me on my behalf and yours. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. He knew all of this well at hand. When we see all that He anticipated, all that He knew would take place, let us say with Catherine Kelly, Oh, help me to understand, Lord. Help me to take it in. What is meant for Thee, Thou Holy One, to bear away my sin? He took our suffering. A day of anticipation. Let's all stand to our feet as we come to a song of invitation. There are so few times when I have ever been able to take what happens in my little hole over there at the house and be able to share it with the people of this church. I've tried so many times. But I do, and I feel as though such a failure this morning. I cannot express to you what God did in my heart in this hour. But for just a little bit, know this. That when he was at that table looking at the cross, he's handing you the bread of life. He's handing you the blood that cleanses of sin. When he falls down in that garden and in that, in that timid innocence of a child looks into the dregs of sin and yields himself to the Father to take it all, your sin was in that cup. Your despicable depravity, every dirty, filthy secret of your life filled that cup. Every dirty secret of my life found its way into the bitterness of that cup. And yet he rose up with resolve to drink every drop of it. When he was betrayed in the garden, he could have caused himself to be far away from this scene. He could have, as he'd done before, simply walked through them. Jesus, there was a crowd of people that wanted to stone Jesus, yet his hour was not yet come. And he simply walked through them. Jesus could have well done the same. But he held out his hands for arrest. He held out his hands for bondage. So that you and I could go free. So that you and I could live eternal life. So you and I could drink of the fruit of the vine knowing our sins have been forgiven. So that we could eat the bread of eternal life in belief in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him today? Have you pledged your, have you pledged your undying allegiance to Him? And wherever He'd have you to do, have you knelt before Him and given your entire life to this One who gave His life for you? Maybe you'd like to come do that this morning. Yield yourself to Him.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear me, Father, I love you. I'm so thankful that you speak. That you speak into the hearts of men through your word. Oh God, I pray you'd speak to us in this invitation. God, I pray you'd speak to every heart in this room. May we peer in your moment of anticipation. All that you knew would take place. And yet you willingly surrendered to it. May that love draw us more deeply devoted to you. God, may it draw us ever closer to you. To walk nearer to you. God, to give our lives more fully to you. God, speak to hearts in this invitation. Draw people to Jesus. May they come and know you in saving faith. May they believe upon you this hour and trust you. God, speak to hearts. God, let us, let us look at the love of the Lord Jesus and fall more deeply in love with you. We love you. Why? Because you first loved us. And gave yourself for us. Let our love grow even deeper. Our devotion more manifest in our life by looking at this day of anticipation. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.